thank you, Erica and Ashley, for joining me today. Super excited to do this in person. Like this has been a while since <laughs> since I've got to do this in person. So it's always good. We're at Kansas City, Missouri at the Giving Grove HQ, I guess we'll call it here. And before we get into all the, the ins and outs of the Giving Grove and the mission and vision, let's talk individually each about your journeys and becoming sort of co-executive directors at the Giving Grove. So Ashley, we'll start with you. What's your journey sort of been like before the Giving Grove? Talk about that path. Yeah, sure. So I have been a little bit all over the place, a little bit. Love it. (laughs) Yeah, I uh, am from Kansas City and I moved away from Kansas City for a while for for college and uh, I was in the Peace Corps. Uh, focused on education. Mm. I was in Mauritania and West Africa, and Mm. then I spent some time in Rwanda. And I came back to Kansas City with a focus on nonprofits and Mm -hmm. nonprofit policy advocacy administration. So kind of went through a couple different nonprofits in Kansas City, some that uh, I'm still very connected with and loved. But when I saw this come across the table, (laughs) the idea uh, of these little orchards uh, integrating all of the things that I find important uh, in nonprofits access a focus on not just one thing, but, you know, food access, environmental sustainability, and that this is a national program. Mm -hmm. It was really exciting to me because in, it kind of connected like the passion I have for for nonprofits that are, that are doing good work and doing big work, but also that horticulture piece that, was on the side that I had never really connected with with this. So yeah, that's how I that's how I kind of came to to here. And I actually had encountered the Giving Grove like three times before I applied for mm. a job. And one was at a preschool that I actually went to, um, <laughs> and my brothers and bring their kids there. And I was picking up my nephews there one day, and I saw some people working outside in their outdoor classroom and it was a giving grove. It was one of the first times that I saw the giving grove. I got to see that grove as I interacted with my nephews there. And then I got an apartment in um, a neighborhood called Longfellow. And while I was there, the community garden had a giving grove installed. Nice. And so there were a couple of times I was like, Hey, who is this group? They're all over the place, and I keep seeing them in different areas. And most recently, when I purchased my house, there was a Giving Grove mm. in that neighborhood, in that steward of that. Neighborhood. That's awesome. I had the same experience. My nephew uh, just graduated, I guess, pre-K. Yeah, pre-K. Like as a gift, they got a tree. And as well, it was a Giving Grove like sign, I was like, "Oh, it's all over I was like, place. "Dang!" All over the place. Uh, I was like, "That's so awesome!" I was like, "I would have got it. She would have got a tree at graduation. She'd give one at every level." Anyway, Erica, you want to jump in and kind of talk about your path a little bit? Sure. So Ashley and I have a little bit of a similar path. Um, I'm also from Kansas City. Uh, after college, I spent a year doing AmeriCorps. Oh, nice. Wow. Place. Yeah. And I worked in uh, legal services in Eastern Missouri, working for programs that served people in housing and uh, homelessness. And after that, I decided to get a master's degree in social work. So Ashley and I both have MSWs. Um, I did a concentration in nonprofit administration, did that in St. Louis, and then came back to Kansas City and worked in shelter programs and a network of feeding programs that served uh, many areas across the region and also worked in education. Hmm. And uh, someone who had been a board member at one of the organizations where I worked was involved with Giving Grove and he kept encouraging me to meet some of the founders for coffee and the yeah. they were doing. And he was very persistent. So I finally <laughs> agreed to meet for coffee with the group. And after a few meetings, I was just so inspired by what they were doing. 
it brought together so many things that I'm really passionate about in terms of building community and providing education and providing access to fresh, healthy food. Yeah. So I joined the team about three years ago. What was it about the Give and Grow that attracted you towards it? Because you both come from this educational background, right? So you think there's a path for education in some sort of way, and there is education in Give and Grow a lot of it, right? But it's at its core, it's sort of, like you said, permaculture planning, it's it's about food, it's about all these different aspects. But coming in and, and, and saying, and kind of taking over, you know, an organization that already existed, it had sort of a, a path, it had a mission and vision already. I guess, what was it about that time when you met with them that really, you know, inspired you to, to look at it a little deeper? What really inspired me was that there's something for everyone in the giving group. So if you're passionate about food access, food security, mm. we have that. If you're passionate about community building, we have that. Yeah. Because each of the orchards are led by people from the neighborhood who bring their neighbors together to build and create and support the site. If you're passionate about education, we have that. Yeah. 25% of our orchards across the country are at schools and we have curriculum where teachers can use the orchard as an outdoor classroom. Yeah. If you're passionate about the environment, that's our sweet spot too. Sure. So each of our orchards sequesters on average 29 tons of carbon, removes on average about 200 pounds of pollution from the air so we can really dial into those metrics and that's what really excited me is that there's really something for everyone and also that it was so community-led and community-driven this isn't about anyone from the outside saying what needs to happen this is about the neighborhood saying this is what we want yeah and then we can help supplement resources to make it happen for them was it the same for you actually yeah the same for me and i'll add a couple onto that i think that one of the things that really stood out for me is um, the invited in aspect of it. This isn't a group that's just planting orchards wherever they think is great. This is a group that is that knows their community, that is getting the word out there, and then finding people, their stakeholders in every neighborhood yeah. that care about yeah. their neighborhood. And this is a great way for them to to support their neighborhood's vitality. That that food sovereignty aspect of it too. Not all our orchards are different across, yeah. you know, 450 different orchards um, look completely different mm. because there is someone there that's saying, I want this for educational purposes for my school, or yeah. we want a big orchard to support a food pantry um, or our WIC program. And there's so much that that, that goes into the planning of this yeah. and so much back and forth with, um, you know, do you want peach trees? Do you want pears? What, how much time do you have for maintenance? Uh, what can we, how can we design this to make it, um, to make it easy for you? And that aspect goes into the type of cultivars we, we select and we offer. And whenever we are doing an orchard, we always want them to have berries as well, mm. because berries will produce quickly yeah. um, and trees take a little longer. So we're thinking about this from a community rooted mm-hmm. aspect. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about this program. And then another thing that uh, Erica didn't mention was the, the mental health aspect of green mm. space as well. Yeah. Yeah. We've uh, talked to so many different places that are using these and, and rehabilitation centers or foster care centers mm-hmm. um, just to get people outside of those like boxes. We had a guy say like air conditioned box to air conditioned box is like things, but to get people outside of nature brings a different aspect of the conversation, a relaxation, a connection with nature. And those are, um, those are some of the things 
that really attracted me to this is like there's so many different yeah <laughs> well we t- we touched on a little bit about the mission and, and vision of the giving grove but you know let's say like the elevator pitch right the overall sort of mission statement what would you say that is for for someone who's this is their first sort of introduction into it yeah i would say the overall mission for the giving grove is to create community-led, community-driven orchard sites that provide nourishment for both people and planet. So we are producing large quantities of food that are made available for free to people who typically have least access to fresh food. But we also have these really important environmental benefits. So contributing to urban tree canopy, cleaning the air, sequestering water, improving the soil biology through the techniques that we use that are all holistic, no artificial pesticides or fertilizers. That's really what we're about. Yeah, and I, I'll add to that because, like, there's a there's a trees and a and a forest <laughs> view of kind of like yeah, trees. sure, sure. And the these orchards are like the little the little trees, right? All these different places. But we've also built this network of people. Yeah. And uh, what we're doing on this national level is supporting all of these program managers in all these different places, sharing best practices, supporting them, uh, not only um, financially, but through resourcing and through continued education and professional development for our program managers that are running these programs so that yeah. they are sustainable so sure. that then they could be sustainable for the stewards. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about, you mentioned over 450 now, like that's amazing, but it started so, so small, right? Like, you know, one or two, obviously you start somewhere, but talk about that just from, you know, a nonprofit aspect of, of scaling. Cause it's always a topic, even with startups, right? I mean, it's, there's always that question of what is scale? Like, how do you do it? How do you do it properly? Right. All these different things that go into it, but talk about, I guess, what it takes to sort of grow gradually, right? Because you're in this sort of position where you're not a startup, you don't have to sort of hockey stick growth in 12 months, right? It's a patient, more patient approach to do this. But talk about what has worked, right? To go from, you know, 10 orchards to 450. The Giving Grow started in Kansas City in 2013 with a group of volunteers, and they were uh, working together in an emergency feeding program. Mm -hmm. And they talked about how important that work was and how urgent it was, but that they wanted to see if there was something they could do to have a longer-term, more sustainable impact on food access. So they spent a whole year looking at different models around the country. They talked to urban ag experts. They talked to food security experts. And they landed on this idea of these perennial orchards in the neighborhoods that typically have least access that could provide fruits, nuts, and berries for decades for neighborhoods. So once our trees are established, many of our varieties produce fruit for 20 to 30 years. Amazing. Some can produce fruit for 50 years or more. So this can really become a sustainable solution. And they wanted to pilot it and see how it would work. So they approached Kansas City Community Gardens, which has decades of experience working in Kansas City, helping people uh, with community gardens and to grow their own food. And community Kansas City Community Gardens agreed to host it. So they just started in Kansas City. And the very first orchard was installed at Hale Cook Elementary in the Waldo neighborhood. And it <laughs> continues to thrive today and within a few years it was clear it was working so there were dozens of these orchards across Kansas City that were providing fresh food for neighborhoods that had had very little access previously but they began to hear from the neighborhoods that just as important as the food access was they were really finding the orchards to be a place that brought the neighborhood together so people were meeting one another in the neighborhoods little free libraries picnic benches were beginning to pop up there were after school programs happening day camps social events Mm. And so they really felt 
like they were onto something and they were going to share this with other cities. So they developed a pilot program and piloted expansions in St. Louis and Omaha. They got some really great advice early on to create this network through partnerships with existing organizations that are already established, know the neighborhoods, know where the needs are, know where the resources are. And so they did that with Steve St. Louis and the Big Garden in Omaha and learned quite a bit from that pilot, um, including the importance of investing early to help ramp up the program. So at that point, it was about 2019 and the board developed a business plan to reach 20 cities by 2025. And we do that entirely by partnering with other organizations. So we invest up to $75,000 in our partner. We ask them to match it locally. And with that pool of $150,000, we can bring on program management, get a set of trees, plant materials, orchard supplies to get the program launched. And we provide a lot of program support around them with volunteer training curriculum, educational curriculum, help with marketing, help with fundraising. And we're about a little over halfway there. So we have programs now serving 14 markets across the U.S. We're from Atlanta to Seattle, Dallas wow. to Maine. And we intend to continue adding three to four cities over the next few years until we reach 20. Wow. What goes into, you said you set, you set that up, you kind of get that for the initial sort of funding to get it off the ground in a certain area. How does it then continue to, to go from there? Is it is it business partners that sort of help fund? I mean, it's a typical fundraising, but I guess how does it how does it stay sort of sustainable to where you have that community garden and then 10 years later, it's still there? Yeah, well, one of the great things about our network and one of, one of the things that I'll mention is they, they looked at a lot of different models and one of them that really connected to them was developed by Purchase Man are coined by them, Aligned to Action Network. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's like a collaborative network that has autonomy, but is focused on some common philosophies. And those are the types of things that we look for when we're partnering with other new organizations in different cities. And, you know, just like our orchards where we're invited in, we need to be invited into these different cities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is important because these Organizations, which are often nonprofits and often nonprofits working with community gardening, they know their city and they have had community ask them, can you can you help us plant fruit trees, can you help gotcha. us plant orchards? And so there's a baseline need there. Yeah. And that's why they're going through this process of getting uh, into our national network. And this this two-year startup phase for these organizations is where we offer the most support, where, you know, Sarah Sigatara, marketing manager, comes in and helps them with things. Uh, Matt Bunch, our culturist, comes in and helps with things. Um, We have uh, Adrian Rundbaum, who's our special projects and development manager. So we have a team that works with this organization not just with the program manager, okay. but we have board to board connections. We have executive director conversations and connections. Uh, we work with their development team, marketing team. We are truly integrated into these organizations. And this is one of the reasons why we remain sustainable and why after two years, they say, let's continue. In gotcha. We want to say, we want to stay here because there is value in this national network. Um, we have, quarterly program manager meetings and biannual development meetings mm-hmm. and marketing meetings. And we also have a national conference uh, for our program managers to come together. So uh, by adding all of this support at this level, 
it creates this sustainable program that can thrive yeah. and continue to grow. Pardon my ignorance here, but are all the are all the orchards outdoors? Like I say that because obviously we got we have winters, right? Mm-hmm. And so what happens during those times of the year where perhaps it's in certain parts of the, it's sort of incapable of growing certain things? Like is there is there a way to incorporate sort of indoor orchard where you have the year round ability to to sort of grow certain things? Our program manager in Dallas is beginning to dip her toe into this a little bit. Um, so she is planting, or she just planted some potted trees that can be indoors during the winter. And okay. She's gonna she's working with a group in her community to see how that goes. But yeah, by and large, these are seasonal uh, sites with dormant seasons, and, and there's some things that the stewards do during the dormant season to care for the trees. Mm-hmm. Everybody for the next growing season, so pruning and some other maintenance activities. But our horticulturalist is really great about working with communities to make sure that there's harvest um, all throughout the growing season. So in Kansas City, we just had cherry harvest. Nice. Um, and then there are different varieties of apples and pears and Asian pears that will ripen at different times to try to extend that growing season as much as possible from June through some of our varieties into October. And some of them have a, a pretty good shelf life. So some varieties of Asian pear can last for months yeah. in the refrigerator if they're refrigerated. Um, and of course, the nuts can have a good shelf life as well. So, yeah. um, But it certainly is a, there certainly is a seasonality to the sites. Yeah. I want to talk about being sort of co-executive directors. And what's that been like? It seems there's been, you know, a little bit of a wave of this sort of happening, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on how that's been for, for y'all and, yeah. and what's sort of the, maybe the, the benefits of it. Well, I'll say if you have the right person. Yeah, of course. That's, yeah. <laughs> and Erica and I uh, found early on, we, we work well together. We can tackle hard problems. We have good communication. Um, and some of these are all of the basis and, and a shared vision for as well. And these are some of the things that motivated us to do this. And also just, you know, our, our network philosophy is collaboration and evening out power structures. Yeah. And this is a, this is a way for Eric and I to, to engage that and demonstrate this to our network as well. The nature of our work is as a national organization means that we're traveling at different times mm-hmm. and it's nice to have someone. Yeah. HQ. Totally. When neither one of us is traveling. So it's worked out really well for us. And, you know, it's not like we're going to say co executive directors always for the future of the Giving Grow because it really is individual based and whether or not two people can work together. I would echo all of that. Ashley and I have said from the beginning that this only works because we work so well together and we were really motivated to do it because we have this shared vision and we come from the social work background and we really yeah. believe in collaboration and we really believe in modeling that and we believe in the mental health benefits of it. I was on vacation totally. recently with yeah. family and I felt completely unplugged right. yeah. because I knew whatever happened, Ashley had it. And so it's really nice to just have someone that is equally invested and cares as much as you do and has a very similar vision that you can step away and take that time and come back refreshed and renewed. Yeah. And another thing that Eric and I do to to make sure that this works is we do have a business coach Mm. that we meet with uh, every month. And it's a really nice way for us to focus on our journey as co-directors and make sure that we are um, spending a little bit of time and attention and making sure that 
this model works and as we develop new strategic plans for our organization. So investing in a, in a business coach was uh, one of the, the best things we did for ourselves at the very start. Wow. I agree with that. And I'm really grateful to our board who encouraged us to do that and uh, helped us make the budget available to do it. We came to them with this idea for co-executive directors and we uh, brought them some research and explained why we wanted to try it and make them very open and collaborative with us in this. And working with the business coach has been a huge part of our success in making this model work. That's awesome. What were some of the, when you said you had research and presented to the board, what was, was there sort of other organizations that you looked at that you thought, wow, that's a really good model. They're really kicking butt, so to speak. There were several nonprofits and we did informational interviews with their co-executive directors yeah. through it. And, and we asked them for the, the good, the bad, the ugly. And sure. Very candid with us. It's <laughs> what it takes to make it work and where they had seen other organizations take missteps. And so we brought all of that together. And then there's some research from the for-profit sector as well yeah. on companies that have done it and, and what has worked well and what hasn't. And so uh, we were really intentional in setting up a model based on all of that great information people shared with us. Yeah, and again, our board was really amazing through this process. Eric and I gave ourselves a six-month intern period to test drive this to make sure that it was right. Yeah. And uh, during that time is where we would meet the board and be like, give us all the questions, mm -hmm. tear this down yeah. if you need to. But as we got closer to the end of that six-month interim period, the whole board was unanimous and like, yeah, this is working well. Let's go for it. When do you play paper, rock, scissors to decide if y'all disagree on something? Like, how, do, how does that work? We worked with our business coach to develop <laughs> a, uh, a decision-making framework. And, uh, you know, when I came into the giving group, I came in on the fundraising marketing side. Ashley came in on the program side. And so we continued to lead those areas and um, established early on that if there was a conflict in one of those areas, we would defer to the person who has the primary responsibility for it. But we really haven't had any kind of major conflict or disagreement because we have a shared vision. Yeah. And we spent a lot of time working on a shared vision document where we outlined our, our goals and objectives for each areas, each area of the organization, and really made sure that we were relying on that piece so that when it comes time to make decisions, we've, already, we've got a roadmap to work yeah. and we already have talked through where we want to go. Yeah. I think, and I think it's so awesome to have two people to be discussing these things yeah. at this level because we're in disagreements. Like you can call them disagreements or conversations or debates. Like we think similarly, but also very differently because we'll go into something and Erica will bring something up where I'm like, I've not thought about it mm -hmm. from that perspective. Yeah. And that really brings this other level uh, to this conversation. And at, at the root of it, Eric and I are social workers and we have that just innately in us. I think it's something that we've studied and having like collaborative and courageous conversations. Those are things that um, both of us had in our toolbox, like before we even um, came across each other. So I think that there's uh, great debates uh, that we've already had and will continue to have. Yeah. We talked about locations a lot. And what's that like a process for a community or a city to, whether it's apply, I'm not sure the, the, the right term, 
but how does that come about where you look at oh mississippi or alabama or arizona whatever it might be how does that does that just come inbound with requests or is that from partners that or other organizations reach out and say hey i think you'd be a good fit here how does that work for for communities to get involved yeah well now it's shifting um a little more because it used to be would be researching we have yeah. Um, all these organizations looking at uh, uh, density and food insecurity mm-hmm. and uh, nonprofits that have existed for a, a certain amount of time and kind of digging into, um, you know, looking at GuideStar and Feeding America yeah. Research and some of these other things. But now, uh, because we're starting to grow and because, um, you know, Sarah who's our marketing communications manager is really good at getting mm-hmm. uh, ourselves out there in, in the public eye and on these Google searches. Uh, we started how people just start to read Great. us. Yeah. And um, the, the last few uh, folks that I've had conversations with are ones who have seen us and been like, we need to bring this to our city mm-hmm. and let's start to have this conversation. And there's not yet an application right now. It's a series of conversations and just making sure, sure that there's a good match um, and then going into an MOU and, uh, and an agreement, an official agreement uh, process where we talk about shared deliverables and milestones, but it's really been interesting to see it kind of shift from yeah, it's awesome. reaching out to people and reaching out to yeah. When you, when somebody, when it's an agreed upon that you're going to go, you know, do an orchard in this particular city, what's that timeline like from, okay, let's sort of do this to, you know, when that first fruit is picked or not is, is picked. What's that timeline look like? It can take, it can take a long time because mm-hmm. this is a big deal adding a program. Yeah. Uh, and so some of our conversations I have like, uh, you know, or that have been in the works for a year. Wow. Like sometimes people just have to think about what they're going to do to make this program thrive. And, you know, hiring someone and getting buy-in from all your staff and, and thinking about um, the financials of it doesn't always come quickly. Yeah. And um, we like this little conversation. So we have a lot of them going at one time. Uh, so you know, some some are four to five months. It can take a, a quick uh, turnover from when they express interest to when they start. Some just take a little longer. Uh, but there's no there's no deadlines or process for us to say it has to take this amount of time. We really want these organizations to be completely ready to start this program. Yeah. I'll kind of end a little bit on on the future. And I know it's, you know, day in and day out, it's hard to kind of look up from it all and be like, okay, like what's our sort of three to five year vision? I mean, I know that's sort of a tough ask sometimes, but when you sit back and look at a little bit, you know, about the future and sort of the goals and missions, like what are some of the successes that you would like to achieve as an organization? Well, we are on a really great pace for adding new city star networks. So our first one is to continue to add until we reach that 20 city network. We feel like every city, every organization partner that we add brings so much and mm-hmm. we learn so much from one another and it makes our entire network stronger and all of our programs better. And so that I think is our first one. And I think also just really becoming a resource for anyone who's interested in growing fruit trees, nut trees in an urban environment. So we have a lot of resources available for free on our website about um, how to select something for your growing zone, how to yeah. list and maintain those sites. And just when people think about 
growing their own food, when they think about the environmental impacts that these trees can provide, we want them to turn to us and we want to be a resource for them. But we're having a lot of really great conversations right now. We're going through a strategic planning process this summer and working with our board. And so these questions are really timely for sure. <laughs> I guess included in that, like just being, being a thought leader in the community orchard space and, mm -hmm. and network and scaling yeah. of this organization, we are focused on ways that we can measure our impact and also self-evaluate as we got to this level. So in some of our grants that we've put in applications for recently, it's like a whole network evaluation mm. of what are we, you know, we're, we're at this point where we're going to hit our 20 cities and what can we learn from, from all of these different lessons that, <laughs> that we've, we've come across. So there's that self-evaluation and finding new ways to measure impact uh, beyond the environmental impact and the food production impact. And then also dipping into research, we have like all of these cities that have all of these community work, yeah. people that are passionate about it and all these different spaces. How can we leverage research and, you know, relationships with universities and extension schools yeah. to, to produce some, some good content on on what these community orchards yeah. can do for communities. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned some of the statistics and just some of the things that they impact. It was like, you know, reading about it, it was like kind of incredible. And like what, what orchards could do, but let's just read some because they're really cool. So it produced more than 64 and a half million servings of free, healthy food over their lifetimes. That's just right now of, of sort of the orchards and sort of network, right? Sequester a thousand tons of carbon, absorb about 177,000 gallons of water per storm, reducing urban flooding and soil erosion, lower urban air temperature during the summer. Like to me, that is the most underrated thing of all time. Like it's so hot. In the south, like where I grew up, like it is disgusting in the summertime. But the shade, I think it's like almost takes 10 degrees or like eight to 10 degrees off of the temperature. And like just having those trees, like walking around, like here, even now when it gets hot, I try to do walks every day and stuff and, or run, run and walks. <laughs> but like I can't wait to get to the part where there's a tree because the shade is like, it's a great place to just like stop and just it helps like a lot. So you know, it, it's really just something that's very, very underrated. And then improved soil biology. Another thing that I think is crazy underrated because everything comes from the soil, as I've I've learned over the years, that the soil is this thing that drives everything that is not given enough credit, I think. But right. and, and there are a lot of really great tools out there for looking at neighborhoods that have been most impacted by some of these issues. So there are trees where you have tools where you can look at tree yeah. canopy, where you can look at pollution rates, uh, where you can look at all of these kind of environmental justice factors. And that's really where we're trying to drive the impact. So those are the communities that we want to be serving. If they would like an orchard, we would like to be there and help them because we know that we can make the biggest impact. And, and there's so much research on how important it is and all of the benefits it brings, physical health, mental health, yeah. environmental outcomes. And that's really the space that we want to be in. Yeah. Yeah. And like microclimates are, are a thing and climate Love it. is a thing as well. And, you know, we've got these little pilot programs. One is with Cornell University and their new WASH program, NEWA, and their weather stations mm -hmm. uh, that we can use to connect with schools that have orchards. Uh, we're working with 
some high schools and some community colleges and colleges so that they can use this weather station and to understand how that climate at that specific spot yeah. is uh, affecting the pest and disease and, yep. and the growth of the trees. Um, so to to put this into like that connected to STEM and totally and that kind of research is is also really exciting and it's almost like again with with this organization there is something for everyone uh, when it comes to connecting to to your passions. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ashley and Erica. This was an amazing conversation. And think you know, like you said, I, all of a sudden it's like when you get a car and then all of a sudden you see that car like everywhere. <laughs> I introduced the Giving Grove and I was like, I see Giving Grove everywhere. I'm just like, what is going on? So it's kind of one of those things, but congrats on, you know, scaling to this point so far and, and just congrats on the success and best of luck for the next decade to come. Thank you.